I have children for you, and I've known them before the foundation of the world. You don't know who you're gonna dance with, but you know you're gonna dance. God just doesn't want to be with me in all the good moments. He wants to be there when I'm in my car, after work, crying. God has woven a tapestry in us and has taught us so much in these past years. This is West Side Stories. Today on West Side Stories, Atlanta West Side Senior Pastor Walter Henniger and Director of Spiritual Formation Ann Henniger sit down with Najib and Becca Hermes to discuss their daughter Mina and her fight with a rare condition called Spinal Muscular Atrophy, or SMA. Becca and Najib have been members at Atlanta West Side since 2013. Najib is also an elder. Both Becca and Najib work full-time for Campus Crusade for Christ. And now on to the show. My name is Walter. I'm the senior pastor of Atlanta West Side. I'm here with my wife, Anne. Hello. And our dear friends, Becca and Najib Hermes. Hi. Hey, everyone. And we are excited to hear a little bit of their story today, uh, specifically about their beloved daughter, Mina. And maybe one way to get into the story would be to ask you about the journey that led you to Mina, because I know it's been a number of years that we've walked alongside you in it. We got married a little bit older and um, tried to start a family just a little under a year after getting married, give or take, um, and spent about a year, you know, doing it the normal way, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then um, I realized it wasn't, wasn't working, and so then that's when our journey into infertility started. Mm-hmm. We went through um, about two and a half years of fertility treatment and um, had lost some embryos and had a miscarriage and did mm-hmm. lots of different treatment things. And... Hi, listeners. A quick pause here to mention that Becca and Najib tried to conceive for many years and in that time endured a lot of loss and disappointment. But that's a wholly different story. So let's fast forward to... In the next day... Amina Ruth Hermes was born, mm-hmm. and uh, about an hour after her birth, we were holding her in our arms and got to um, become her parents, which was just such a, like, I don't know, just after having waited for so, so long, it just felt monumental, of course. Yeah. About when Mina was a week old, we got a phone call from her pediatrician. And Utah does uh, genetic screening for rare genetic disorders at birth, and Georgia does it too. Um, but Utah included on it a disorder called spinal muscular atrophy. And we didn't have any idea that, like, we didn't think that Mina would test positive for anything. But the pediatrician called and he said, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but your daughter tested positive for SMA. And he said, I don't know a lot about it, uh, but basically the, the muscles stop working. And um, he said, the, I've already made an appointment for you with the specialist for tomorrow, and uh, he's going to call you tonight, but I'm just so, so sorry to give you this news. And we hung up the phone and just both started bawling. I mean, it was like a punch to the gut of, here we've waited so long for this child, and... What? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember he called my phone for some reason and Becca answered it because I was holding the baby. 
and I could just tell from her countenance and the look on her face that it wasn't good news. And I just felt, you know, my heart just crumbling. And she told me the news, and um, I just held me and just sobbed. <laughs> um, because, you know, it was just, we'd waited for so long, and now we're going we're gonna to watch her fade away before she even, you know, lives. We Googled it, and it was like, you know, basically the child won't make it to age two. And um, thankfully, the specialist called us within 20 minutes. And one of the first things he said was, don't Google this. (laughs) We were like, too late. (laughs) Mm. Uh, He said, I want you to go to one website. It's called curesma.org. There is hope. And so we went in the next day and found out about uh, there are two treatments, but the one that we, we decided to go with is a gene replacement therapy. So the next day we went to the University of Utah, um, and I am now a huge University of Utah fan um, <laughs> because of this. But uh, we went, we pulled up, and the, the, the children's hospital there is just fantastic, and we met uh, the sweetest kind. He's like a hero now, but Dr. Butterfield was his name, and um, he just had the sweetest, most gentle kind of personality and he walked us through everything and told us about the disease and explained everything and he told us about these two drug options one involved a spinal tap every two to four months for the rest of her life but it was effective and the other was a one-time gene replacement therapy that was delivered via a a modified virus and so we were going to basically give her a virus that would deliver a gene and um the drug therapy costs a couple hundred grand per treatment, and the viral, the, the gene replacement costs $2.1 million for one dose. Um, and so he, you know, he laid out the options and told us all about it. And the whole time we're both like, but is she going to be okay? You know, like, are we going to have to go buy a ranch house with, with ramps? Are we going to need to, you know, like, what is her life going to look like? And, and so he finally told us about one of his patients who he just had her two-year visit and she came in and he said, did the happy dance. And so I said, but doctor, is she going to be okay? And he goes, well, I would say that her climbing up on my table and doing the happy dance is okay. (laughs) And that was, you know, him doing the happy dance was like where I finally felt like, okay, you know. Mm. Yeah. So we ended up exploring some options uh, of where we could do it because only a few places in the U.S., actually give this treatment. Utah is one of them, but we would have to stay out there for three months. Another option would have been Birmingham. And so we ended up coming back to Atlanta, going to Birmingham, checking in with them. And they said, we're, you know, she's a great candidate. We can do it, but it's going to be a couple of weeks before, you know, it goes through insurance and we have to get paid by insurance. Then we have to order the drug. And in Utah, they were willing to just buy and bill, basically order the drug and wait for insurance to pay them, but go ahead and give me the dose. A couple of details that we uh, learned along the way. First of all, Utah was one of only six states that screened for this disease at birth. Secondly, uh, Dr. Butterfield was one of the top researchers of SMA in the world. And uh, thirdly, Utah does the buy and bill. And so we finished our appointment at in um, Birmingham. And Najib, I was like pretty paralyzed, honestly. This was so overwhelming. And Najib was like in 
go mode. <laughs> and he was like, no, we're going to go back to Utah. We cannot, we cannot wait two more weeks. Every day counts. She's losing neurons as we speak. So we're going to go get treated immediately in Utah. So he flew back out to Utah, and that Friday, she was um, given this life-saving, life-altering dose of genes. Mm -hmm. And when we went in Friday morning, the nurse who was sort of our coordinator said, uh, something happened this morning, uh, yesterday or last night and this morning. I'm not going to tell you what right now because I don't, like, don't want to freak you out. Someday you'll know. <laughs> but somebody really wants this baby to be born, uh, uh, to be okay. And we were like, uh, okay, great. Well, we'll take that. I was like, I mean, there's like an army of people praying for this child. So, mm -hmm. you know, makes sense. He was like, I mean, I've just seen a lot of kids go through this process and it's like hurdle after hurdle. And it's just amazing how smoothly this process has gone for mm -hmm. y'all. He probably didn't say y'all. He's from Utah. But anyway, <laughs> um, so she got the treatment. It's pretty anticlimactic. She's like on an IV drip for 45 minutes and then it's done. Yeah. And we went and got dinner. And she was a cool, like <laughs> she was really cool about it. She didn't fuss that much and we just held her and, and then it was over. And, um, I mean, they say it's anticlimactic and it kind of was, but at the same time, I think for me, you know, I could just hear her neurons fizzling out and I was like, is she, is she, okay, everything's moving properly and she's not twitching. Okay, she's good. Okay. Like I was just waiting for the shoe to drop. I was waiting for some symptoms to show up. And so mm -hmm. I just felt this sense of, I could like breathe again um, as, you know, it went into her. And it was just, it's just, it's still mind boggling to me that this little virus that's been re-engineered goes in there and just deposits a copy of the gene and then her body flushes it out. And by the next morning, everything's normal. I'm curious, I mean, you've, you've already reflected a little bit on some of the ways that, that God has met you or shown himself in this process. What, what has he taught you about himself? I think I'm still learning uh, some of that myself. Like one of the things that I've realized is we talk about God as father and we sing how deep the father's love for us. And, and that sounds great. And you think about that in terms of, well, my dad loved me a lot, but then now experiencing it as her father and just the, the things I was going to do, like, you know, like when the doctor said the drug is $2.1 million. And I was like, all right, we sell the house, we liquidate all these things, we go out and we beg, I'll sell my kidneys. You know, like it wasn't even, but I was just willing to do that for her. Um, or when she throws her food at me and is, you know, throwing a tantrum, I still love her and adore her so much. And it's made me realize like when I'm throwing a tantrum and not being so nice to God, he still loves me and adores me. Um, it just has deepened my understanding of God as my father. Which is also significant uh, given Mina's name yeah. as well, right? Yeah, we named her after my dad. His name was uh, Amin. And so... Um, he passed away when we were dating. Yeah. So. So yeah, that was a significant thing uh, to get to kind of give her that name. Yeah, I think for me, it's um, it strangely has deepened my appreciation and love for God's sovereignty. So when we were struggling with infertility, if there came a point where I felt like the Lord was saying, <clears throat> "You don't know where your children are going to come from. 
but I have children for you and I do know where they're coming from. And I've known them before the foundation of the world. And to see Mina's story unfold and know the Lord is doing this. He is orchestrating these things. And he's known before the foundation of the world that Mina would be our daughter and that he was going to intervene in her life in these ways. And for a, for a while, for a few weeks, a couple of weeks probably after she had the treatment, I thought to myself like, wow, the Lord must want to do something really big with Mina's life because he's done this amazing thing at the very start of it. And then I came to realize that's a lot of pressure to put on our daughter. <laughs> and maybe the Lord just wanted to show me that he loves me and that he can do this big, amazing thing to show me that he sees me and he cares about the suffering that we've walked through and he loves me. And uh, that has been a really sweet thing that I've carried since then, you know. How has God redeemed infertility in your life, not just with Mina, but how have you seen God, God's sovereignty and even that in your life and in the lives of others? It's something, uh, Najib and I were just talking about this, like when you're in the middle of a story that's really painful, it's hard to see the... It's hard to sometimes have hope that there could be any form of redemption. And one of the things that I have been thinking over the last couple of months is I have a a favorite book uh, that I like to read called The Blue Castle. It's like an old school, you know, early 1900s Canadian novel. And in it, one of the main characters talks about how joy stains backwards through the years of pain and suffering. And I think that is something that I'm starting to see. It doesn't erase the years of pain and suffering, but it is giving more of a sense of meaning. And it is giving, like, sort of staining backwards the redemption of that time that was just so gutturally painful. So bring us up to the present tense with her. What what are some fun things that Mina likes to do? Oh man, Mina loves music and she likes to dance. So <laughs> she's doing her happy dance. She's doing her she happy dance. Her yeah, happy dance. <laughs> um, yeah. We, I like to dance too. I'm a terrible dancer, but in a good way. So she and I will do the the hot dog dance at the end of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, uh, and I've gotten pretty good at the the dance at the beginning of Bluey. She thinks is hilarious. Um, she, she does love music and dance. She likes to play the piano. Uh, she likes to slap my keyboard while I'm working, especially. Um, she likes to mess with our dog, Fred. She's very <laughs> playful. She is very she playful. Is, yeah. And she's, you know, even, even in her very early days, she was pretty wiggly. Mm-hmm. And with having SMA, it was just like, yes. I just kept on being like, this is my little wiggle worm here. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's so active. Yeah. And... Yeah, when you said she threw fit at your face, I thought, well, that's great. She has strong muscles. Oh, yeah, she hurl does. it. She does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Praise God for those muscles. Yeah. yeah. The other day, Becca said, are you okay? Do you have a headache? I said, yeah, Mina punched me. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were walking back to get Mina's dose, the nurse said something to you when she said she's going to tell it to you later. Can you 
Is there any hints? Yeah. Anything you can yeah. tell us? So it ended up kind of coming out through multiple different of the like medical professionals that came through her room. Essentially, the drug company makes a dose specifically for each person who receives this based on their weight and different things. And it's made in Chicago and then it's overnighted. Uh, it's uh, flown out to wherever. So it was flown out to Salt Lake City. That was the plan. And it's in a special suitcase that's hermetically sealed and got GPS trackers and temperature controlled. And if the plane goes down, the suitcase survives, like one of those deals. Yeah. So the drug company notices that the GPS tracker is not, it's not moving from the airport in Chicago. They call Delta and uh, the airline company says, uh, we don't know where it is, actually. And so the drug company starts scrambling and it has to have time to like for them to do whatever they need to do to it when it arrives in Salt Lake City before they can give it to Mina. And so uh, eventually the airline company calls back and says, we found it it's sitting on a counter, but we don't have any more flights out tonight to Salt Lake City. So they chartered a private plane, <laughs> put, it was just the, like the pilot and the, you know, <laughs> suitcase on the plane flying to Salt Lake City wow. just to get to Mina in time mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> for her to do the treatment. Yeah. And they didn't tell us about it until a few days later. Uh, it came out. And actually, because of that specific incident, they changed the protocols. And so moving forward, all the doses were shipped uh, on a charter plane and no longer shipped commercially. She's a front runner. Yeah, she is exactly. in many, many ways. <laughs> yeah. She also was the youngest, one of the youngest people to receive the dose. She's She is like a major research interest because she's so... She's doing so well. She's doing so well. And she received it so young. And yeah. And she'll probably be happy to be that person, right? She mm-hmm. seems to enjoy <laughs> attention in a healthy way. And mm-hmm. yeah. she's got that twinkle in her eye. Yeah, she does. Yeah. She's a little ham. Yeah. <laughs> so we know that Dee dances with her. Do you <laughs> sing with her? And if so, what songs does she like? I do. Um, she's funny. She'll like sort of in her little toddler chirpy voice sing along with all kinds of things. But we have a particular song that we've been singing for probably almost since the beginning. Since she was born. Yeah. It's called Beautiful Girl. It goes, hey, beautiful girl, mama loves you. I love you, most beautiful girl in the whole wide world. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of West Side Stories. And a special thanks to our guests, Becca and Najee Permes, for joining us. This episode was produced and directed by me, Corey Fleeman. It was co-produced and hosted by Anne and Walter Henniger. Our editor was Tim Lane. Original music was composed and performed also by Tim Lane. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll share it with friends and family. A positive review on your streaming service of choice would also be appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.